Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to global news in social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week right here on KOPN.org, 89.5 FM, your community radio station in Columbia, Missouri, we get to talk to someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And no doubt we need all the hands on deck to build a more humane world. And my guest today is Brittany Fatoma. She's a grad student, a doctoral candidate over at Mizzou in the Department of Edu or School of Education, and has recently been certified as a doula here in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, we mostly want to explore what that is and why it is and uh, why there's a need for this, uh, particularly at this particular time. So good, uh, good afternoon, Brittany. Good afternoon, good afternoon. It's so great um, to be here, to be in the space. It's been a while um, since I've been able to just to get out and, and discuss something that's so important as um, supporting Black maternal and, and, and Black mothers and their babies specifically. So I'm really excited about our conversation today. I am too. Uh, I got to have an interview with uh, Mama Hakima up at nice. Uzazi Village a month or two ago. And oh, that's powerful. <laughs> it it uh, sort of blew me away as to what all is going on in a in really a, a kind of a transition. I don't know. We're we're at a cusp of change. It seems like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, she is kind of leading the edge there, along with oh, some yes. others. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, how did you happen to meet uh, or get involved in this, even this topic? I mean, you're a a doctoral candidate in, in education. What what does this have to do with anything? Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, two, two things happened. I, um, at the time I met Erica, who is the founder of the Mid-Missouri Black Doula Collective here in Columbia, I actually met her at an equity um, meeting when I was a teacher at Columbia Public Schools. I used to teach mm -hmm. fourth grade. And mm -hmm. so just, just the, just how she led the conversation was awesome. And so we we were just talking a follow up, and I think at that time she was um, pregnant with her with her daughter, and I hadn't quite found out that I was pregnant with my own daughter. <laughs> so it was definitely a great like what I can't believe this. Um, and so we we hadn't really talked since I had left the district, um, but we just stay connected. And then she put out this post just talking about um, just the black maternal and infant mortality rate and just the the importance of doulas and by that time I had had my daughter and although it was it was traumatic it was a traumatic experience and although I I think I still had a really great OBGYN and the nurse staff was great it still was a very scary um and traumatized experience and I didn't realize how much so until I saw her post asking about women that were interested in being in doulas mm. and I know that I had wanted a doula but I couldn't necessarily afford one and I had looked so hard to find a doula of color here um, in this area. And so 
going through the whole process and not being able to afford one. So all those things, I, I think, work together for me to be interested in being a doula. And I just just remember like the beginning part of my labor, even just having the people that I did have there with me pre-COVID, where you actually wasn't limited. Um, I just realize like you need that person to advocate for you it is really hard to be in the process the experience of 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 bringing life into this world and also trying to advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. as as a black woman in a very um racist um systemically historically um system as a healthcare system Mm -hmm. so your daughter's about five now She's about two. She what? just turned two, actually. Yeah, oh, two. I thought this was uh, back a few years. Okay. No, this is all very recent. Oh, um, my. Very, very recent. Yes, my very recent. Yeah. Yes. So, no, um, although the issue isn't new, mm-hmm. but um, it catching fire here in Columbia and really um, been able to pull together resources and just have the right people at the right time is mm-hmm. still very, very, very new, very new. Mm-hmm. I find it uh, interesting, kind of in a reflective way, that uh, Concerned Students 1950 was uh, in the headlines just uh, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to interview uh, uh, Raphael and uh, some other folks involved in that. And that was a shakeup of a system, uh, educational mm-hmm. system. But, you know, we haven't really heard much of a shakeup in the healthcare system. Mm. And you don't sound radical. You don't <laughs> sound like, oh, we're going to go out and, you know, strike or do things like that. Don't let the soup taste full yet. <laughs> um, but I definitely think, although, um, and I've learned this, I think, more recently, because um, I've also been involved in a lot of social justice work here in Columbia. Um, with the Worley Street Roundtable, um, Faith in Action. So I, uh, I'm i very familiar with, with that sphere. And I've learned that there's really a, a continuum of how you do um, this work. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that as, first of all, we are just a phenomenon in and of itself to have 10 trained um, Black doulas and currently we um, currently just in the city is just disruptive enough but to take it a step further to to just because sometimes it's not always what you say um sometimes it's just your mere presence disrupts and so to be able to see black women in um in a system that really wasn't made for us or a cater to us and is really killing us just our mere presence alone is disrupting and so it may not seem because it, you may not hear the loud war the cries people you know in the street as of yet and i think that's also layered um i can kind of go down that rabbit hole my research is um the attrition of black female educators in k-12 and so i look a lot into just um historically how black women are viewed um in this country mm-hmm. and so that's where some of my interests align here as well. 
But back to the point, you may not see people in the streets and protesting um, like they have for other for other issues, but know that our presence is disrupting the system and that, um, like I said, this layer, I think it's because it's black women and black babies dying. Um, while we're not seeing the the uproar as it as it should be. Mm-hmm. However, I believe because of the work that we are doing and that we're doing it presently and that there's so many of us that it is catching fire mm-hmm. um, and, we're, and people are seeing in systems are mm-hmm. noticing like, hey, this is not something that we can continue to do. Mm-hmm. It, it must be changed. We need to help our audience understand what a doula is. Uh, D- D-O-U-L-A, a doula. Yes, so a doula is a certified professional um, expert that has been trained to support women during the entire labor, delivery, pregnancy, um, postpartum um, experience and journey. So the doula is there meeting with the expecting mom, the doula is there for the big event, labor and delivery, and the doula is also there postpartum to help support. Uh, and just a quick sidebar for I go into more about being a doula. Um, that postpartum portion, mm-hmm. I believe, um, just as a mother, I'm two years postpartum, right? Mm-hmm. And just going through that, like how important, especially as Black women, that we need that support mm-hmm. um, doing postpartum because just so much goes on with your body during pregnancy. And then you just, you're talking about from a hormonal level, a physical level, a spiritual level, emotional level. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there that is really important for. Um, that doulas are able to service that. And then specifically community-based doulas, which is what we are um, in the collective, is that we are able to not only, um, for people to have, for mothers, black mothers, people of color to have access to doulas that look like them, but also doulas that are well-versed within the community and the needs. And so another way I like to look at a doula, I like to use this analogy, is when, um, with a boxer, you have the trainer and the trainer's job is to make sure that the the boxer knows the fundamentals of boxing and that they achieve their goal as a boxer. Mm -hmm. That would, that's what a doula is with, with, with birth work. Mm -hmm. The doula is there to help educate and and train and support the laboring mother and their family. um, And the particularly their, their significant other, but to also make sure that they have that experience that is not filled with trauma, but is filled with he- with the healing and with uplifting and empowering as what birth is. Mm-hmm. That's a doula. Excellent. Excellent. You're making me think lots of things. And one of them is our healthcare system sometimes, uh, at least from my experience, uh, falls short on after the fact, after the surgery, after the baby's born, after, you know, the trauma. I had prostate surgery. What do I do at home if I'm by myself? If I don't have someone to help with some things? And, you know, this is an older guy's uh, problem. And I was fortunate enough to have a wife and, and friends that were there to support but medically there was almost no communication so i can see not only uh, black with black but even uh, white mothers seem to have an absence of that support but we're not talking about them today but 
Why are we talking about black mothers in particular? I think you're going to tell me that there's a higher incidence of both uh, mortality, yeah, death. Yes, mm -hmm. like you know, four times as much. And so um, I agree that it that is definitely an issue, but it's it's even um, exacerbated within um, within black women. Mm -hmm and women of color, but we're specifically focusing on black women because therein lies a huge issue. You're talking about four times, four times. likely to die as mm -hmm. a black woman or their child. Like my, even my experience as a doula, um, my first birth was infant, was an infant death. It was my, mm. it was my sister-in-law. Oh. Um, and there was a mass negligence from the hospital to the doctors to I'm giving her the medical advice that although as a doula, we are experiencing, but I didn't go to med school, right? And so I'm giving her advice and things that her doctor should have that could have prevented the death of my niece. And so, um, and I know that in that particular day when my niece died, she was one of 14, oh. right? Mm. Um, and majority of those people were women, black women and black and women of color. So when we say that, yes, it's an issue that the, the metal, there's a disconnect between um, that, that after the fact, but it's even more so um, an issue for black women. Mm -hmm. I remember even when I was pregnant, that was the conversation my OBGYN and I had often, I constantly interrogated it um, in a way of just making sure that he was always aware he's up on his research, he's up on these things on how, what is most likely to happen to me as a black woman. I said, I do not want to die and I do not want my child to die. And I said, and I'll do respect that if my child dies, you better hope I die too, because I'm going to be coming after you, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't just an empty threat. It's, this is the real life concerns that black women have going in when they're definitely just their health care as as a whole but especially when when they're giving birth and when you're talking about numbers as four times as much where you're talking about you know hundreds of babies dying like that's that's just not okay and um it it's definitely um something that requires a lot of attention from everyone um uh, i have a few friends slash classmates slash colleagues that was recently at a convention for pediatricians and they literally that was the discussion about what can they do even as pediatricians to um impact these numbers mm. and that this is the reality and how in their practice, do they help bridge that gap? What does it look like offering care specifically to a family of color or a black family as compared to what are those implicit biases that you're bringing into the room before you even have an opportunity to work for, work with that family? What are some things that you're already assuming that they are predisposed to that before you even have an opportunity to get to know them? And so you've already shut down the line of communication, which then at that point, you're not no longer the best doctor for them because mm -hmm. you can't even properly advocate and fight for them and give them the best care because your your implicit biases and mm -hmm. your preconceived notions, even things that you were taught in med school, mm -hmm. um, can prevent you from giving the best care to that mother and her family. Mm -hmm. Can you help us see a few real examples in terms of going through a, a conversation with the physician or being in the hospital and what do you see, how do you see that 
systemic racism working? So that's a really excellent question. So I'm actually going to go back to um, my sister-in-law's experiences. That was my first birth outside of my own experience. Um, so something as simple as because um, just them not even communicating well. So she had, so of course the baby died. Um, and so that should definitely be in her chart. So when someone comes in and the fact they're not even aware of that and there's speaking as if because she um, the baby died so she prematurely she had an emergency c-section and the baby died so she wasn't even full term and so they're assuming she's still pregnant just because they didn't read the notes that to me is gross negligence or the fact that um there was a lack of communication so her the her original OBGYN did not specialize with um knew nothing about high-risk pregnancies or had very limited knowledge and instead of referring her out said that he could see her and he actually hadn't seen her and during that time um is when the baby died and she actually had called the office that day and they followed back with her and she's like my baby died it's kind of too late so these these are the things that i'm talking about gross um gross just 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 disgusting behavior mm -hmm. um and i know that these things are not isolated this is mm -hmm. not just her experience it's mm -hmm. these are the experiences of thousands and thousands of women right here um in america and so mm -hmm. that's that's one example um mm -hmm. another thing is just not getting taking the opportunity to actually get to know the person and understanding just some things that are social um, norms within the black community. And so just in the way that you communicate and in the words that you use, there were times that I literally, um, I was, I felt like in a sense I was translating. Um, a lot of times we think when someone th speaks a different language from a different country, mm -hmm. but even within our own American society, we, we speak different dialects as, or different vernaculars. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that when the doctor explains things, I have to stop and say, hold on, let me explain this again. Do you understand what they're saying? Mm -hmm. This is what they mean. And even just the the health profession, they use a lot of medicalese terminology. We see it a lot in academia as well, jargon that the average person has no idea what you're talking about, but not trying to put it into layman terms so that the person can understand and make an informed decision, especially when their life is at risk. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, well, let's take a quick break here. Uh, say hi, folks uh, listening today to Glocal News in Social Artistry on KOPN, your community radio station in uh, Columbia, Missouri. We're happy that you're a supporter of KOPN. And uh, if you hadn't heard, we have a new building that we're uh, starting to actually get ready to move into uh, for the first time in almost 50 years. So we're we're super happy, and uh, don't forget that uh, we still need a lot of support in getting uh, that building uh, all taken care of financially as well. So anything you can help out, we appreciate. Uh, I'm Dick Dalton, the host of this show, and we're, we talk to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out. And today my guest is Brittany Fatoma. Uh, she's a grad student over in the School of Education in uh, what is it leadership uh, what's your actual um you know little specialty in that area it's um lead leadership oh wow my analysis and policy policy and analysis sorry <laughs> educational leadership policy and analysis wow my <laughs> brain went frozen there yes that's okay you're gonna you're gonna have that uh, edd by the end of the year right yes <laughs> yes 
That's uh, congratulations. Uh, you know, the the road is long for these uh, kinds of processes, and you've written lots of uh, articles. You have uh, you have a, a quite a long bibliography yourself. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> and I I was you know kind of blown away. I, I looked oh. at I looked at mine, and then I looked at yours. I thought, oh, well, you know, uh, I do want to say. I noticed something in your uh, CV about uh, Keeper of the Dream Award. Do you remember mm. getting that? Yes. When, yes, was, yes. when was that? That was during uh, 2020, so um, I guess oh. almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, and that was with uh, Worldly Street Roundtable. At which I had just become aware of Worldly Street Roundtable right. back at that time. And was kind of looking for somebody that would, you know, be able to talk about what it was. And uh, I grew up on South Garth. uh, Okay, okay. Went to Grant School and Jeff Jr. So I'm, that's, had a paper route out that That's your neck of the woods. Yeah, Yeah. that's your neck of the woods. Um, Well, currently the um, executive director is um, Dr. David Aguayo. So would love to connect you um, Mm -hmm. him and um, Dr. Adrienne Clifton um, and her family, just the whole story, the richness of the Worldly Street Roundtable um, and how it came to be. It literally started um, and Miss Miss Verna LaVoy's table with her family and then expanded um, to become the organization that it is now um, with such powerhouses, like I mentioned, Dr. Adrian Clifton, um, Dr. Uh, David Aguayo, and the, the the mission is 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 helping to fill that um, that that gap that that huge gap of just um, proportionality between um, how um, what white students are privy to, as you mentioned, white privilege compared mm-hmm. to what students of color are getting in the school system. And so we are a strong partner um, with the Columbia Public Schools to just to make sure that students of color are getting exactly what they need from mm-hmm. the top all the way down mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they get an equitable education here in Columbia. Wonderful, wonderful. And how long has that been around? Worldly Street Roundtable? Do you have an idea? It has been around for some time. Mm -hmm. So um, are you familiar with the Como Ed, um, where the district recruits students, the Columbia Public School students, and offers scholarships for them to go and become teachers? Because I know uh, they, they were... Oh, okay. Check it out. Um, okay. Um, also, a phenomenal program, and one of the um, the things that Worley Street is well known for. So I figured if you knew that thing that time around, mm-hmm. but I know that it has at least been around. Um, I would say five to ten. So it's not extremely old, um, but it's not like like not as new as the mm-hmm. that's the collective. So yeah. Well, I haven't lived in in Columbia since seventy five. Uh, some of those particular things are are new to me, and I'm I'm always glad to get to know it better. Uh, so we we're, we're working on education, we're working on healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, was Erica the one that uh, was introduced to Hakima in uh, Kansas City? Yes, 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 yes. So um, it's a great story. Um, that Erica shares, and so I'm. I know I'm not going to do it justice, so I'm trying to get some highlights. <laughs> I know at the time in which she was pregnant with her daughter, and just and knew the risks that she had being a black woman, 
um, she went to, she researched and she had heard about it within her position at the district as well um, with Miss Carla London. And so once she got the information, she was researching, trying to find what can I do to help alleviate some of my risk as, as a black mother. And that's when she found out about Uzazi Village and where she got to meet Mama Hakima and, um, and I know that relationship blossomed from there and began the sparks of what is now the Mid-Missouri uh, Black Dua Collective. Yes, evolution. Yes, I, I don't know powerful if powerful connection. I don't know if you knew the story, but uh, Hakima walked from Kansas City to uh, Jefferson City uh, back, uh, I forget the year, but let's say 2008, let's just say. Okay, okay. And wow. uh, I got a word from a, a nurse up in Columbia that uh, her whose son was going to Lincoln that Hakima needed a place to give a talk mm-hmm. and couldn't find a place. And they had heard that maybe I could work it out. <laughs> mm. So I, I got permission to use my classroom uh, after hours. And uh, she had a great presentation, uh, really was giving us, you know, the data. She had the PowerPoint and, mm-hmm. and the experience. And mm-hmm. and uh, so I got to meet her way back then and always had kept her in the, my mind, but I didn't have this radio show till 2017. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, it was great to rehook up with her. And, and, uh, and now you as, uh, you know, the generations come along. Yes, um, that's a super powerful. Anytime I get to share space uh, with Mama Hakima, it's always just super uplifting. She, mm-hmm. she is. We're definitely standing on her shoulders and the, and the shoulders of others that have um, been doing this work, but doing it unapologetically and mm-hmm. constantly holding um, these systems accountable um, and unwavering. And so we were really, really, really. Um, we really felt like it was a privilege and an honor to share space with her um, as our instructor, mm-hmm. but also to be able to get the training through Uzazi Village mm-hmm. in Kansas City. Uh, I think there's probably a little confusion uh, that there's something that people do know about a lot, which is a midwife. Mm-hmm. And midwives, uh, you know, we have those in history and and mm-hmm. controversy and and legal definitions and so on, uh, we should say that doulas are not midwives. No, we are not. No, we are not. Um, A doula can definitely support um, a midwife and they do work hand in hand. I know some really dynamic um, midwife and doula duos um, Mm -hmm. out of Kansas City. So, um, so yes, they definitely work hand in hand. The the thing is, um, where doulas advocate support and are there, excuse me, with the with the the mother with the mother, the midwife. I guess a better way to, and I just just for example purposes, is where instead of someone using an OBGYN, they will use a midwife. So the midwife tends to the medical, the actually delivering of the baby and all the other medical things that go goes along with it. Whereas the the doula does not deliver babies. <laughs> that is not the role. We're there to definitely support, advocate. Um, provide um, comfort measures, and then of course that that time before the, the mother delivers, and then that postpartum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
the legality. Uh, we're we're saying that a, a midwife has some kind of a state license. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And, and each state has their own licensing procedures. Mm -hmm. uh, is that the same for doulas? Because you are certified. Is this a something the state recognizes or even needs to recognize? Um, that's a really great question. And, and um, I know I've been doing a lot of research on it because there are organizations like more like rural organizations that certify doulas. And then of course there are programs like Uzazi Village that, that does the certification. But I do not actually know the answer about state. I know that um, when I registered as a um, as a healthcare worker, doulas is definitely underneath that. So I'm assuming that the state recognizes it on that level. I just don't know that states have their own certification board. So that mm -hmm. I actually, I actually don't know the full yeah. answer to that. And so let's say you're going into the hospital with mm -hmm. your uh, the mother that you're working with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't ask you for certification or your uh, right to be there or do they? Well, my, my limited experience, they haven't. Uh -huh. Um, I'm pretty sure it has happened. Um, like we said, we're dealing with a system that is systemically, um, uh -huh. racist. And so when, especially if you see, um, a person of color there, uh -huh. um, and I, I know it definitely probably came up, but, um, I tend to drop my credentials quick on and so people know like okay maybe we're not going to mess with her but as long as you're invited by the patient and the patient gives you that you know that that authority mm -hmm. um it, it's definitely fine and then the thing is although the public may be not as aware of what a doula is the healthcare system is very much aware oh good um oh good so they, they definitely know what a doula is i never had like oh, what are you again it was mm -hmm. more so oh you oh you're here um, let me make sure that I do things um, appropriately. And so I was grateful that my mere presence disrupted their system. Mm -hmm. And so they made sure that they did what they needed to do to best mm -hmm. serve. Yeah, good, good. Uh, I think the statistics show the United States is something like 35th in the world for uh, health of the mother or mm -hmm. health of the baby, something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And we know that that's a combined black, white, all, you know, it's not racially divided out. But I'm going to guess that if the numbers, <laughs> the rates were only focused on people of color, that we would go from 35th to maybe 150th, uh, the worst in the world in terms of care of mother and baby in uh, in pregnancy, you, am I way off base? Um, I don't think so. I was actually trying to look up the exact number. Mm -hmm. um, I just can't seem to pull it up fast enough. But anywhere you see the whatever the the norm is for America, ours is always going to be. I think at least at least double. Mm -hmm. um, just from so it's like I said, it's extremely layered from how Black women are just viewed in America to the lack of just black people and people of color in the, in the medical field. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's definitely layer, but, but I would, but I would agree. I mean, mm -hmm. it is alarming the amount of black women that are dying, mm -hmm. 
um, and black children and black babies that are dying. And um, I know, I'm not sure if you remember, it was a um, divorce court judge not that long ago. I would say it's been a few years when her daughter-in-law died from childbirth. And I know that brought some national recognition um, to, to this issue, but even like like stories of Beyonce, like mm-hmm. we're like what Beyonce? Beyonce had to deal with the same issues myself and other Black women deal with um, giving birth, especially in a hospital setting. Um, so yes, I I would say I, I but I but I would agree that as as a country, it's high uh, when we compare ourselves to other. Um, highly developed um, countries, but even more, it's even more so with people of color and specifically black women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is a, a, an old problem. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> although uh, we don't know the stats uh, about how uh, mothers did, black mothers did back before, you know, it was the thing to do just to go to the hospital. Home birth, for instance, uh, do you have any any stories from people in the past uh, for home birth and and how you know families uh, got together, neighbors got together, things? I don't know. Was there a is it a mythical story that that things were better way back when and they've gotten worse? Uh, what do you think? I, I would agree. Um, so I was actually doing some research on this topic when we were compiling like the information for our website and just the fact that we have um, OBGYNs more so doing dealing with birth, which is their training is it more from a medical condition instead of this is a natural phenomenon and that our bodies are made to do this. So I definitely think that as far as all the interventions and all the undue pressure to control birth mm-hmm. has has increased if you look at overall the, the 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 common narrative is we're saving more babies now that we have more control over it <laughs> however you're talking about the overall health of the mother and child i think was definitely better during that time when you had midwives and and they weren't necessarily called doulas then but they were acting as doulas those family members um there um with the mothers helping and and the thing is these things were done at home these were um they weren't rushed um they the mother was giving time, the baby was given time. I think what was happening is when it became in a med- medical emergency, that access was limited. But I also, although I don't have any personal stories, I just know from my research, um, studying about just the history of black women in America. I know for black women, they, especially during, um, during, during slavery specifically, um, that black women, they worked in the fields the entire pregnancy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then they gave birth and then they were right back on the fields. So this I this so this even this idea of um laying on the back and it's just completely different from the very active, very um almost quick, like a really quick turnaround too, mm-hmm. uh, which I also think was very unhealthy and traumatic in and of itself, but just a completely different look of how birthing was. Um, and then just 
not having the time. So even though Black women then didn't necessarily have the time and space as far as like the recovery, and we have it a little bit better, but we also have more knowledge. And so we know just how much it impacts the body and just how much more time. And so we can see that back then, those women, the fact that they gave birth and right right back to work was not healthy either. But at least they had that time to not force the birth. Mm-hmm. but that it was a natural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would say definitely that the numbers overall were better when you look at the comfort and and just letting it happen naturally. But mm-hmm. I do know that there were definitely um, deaths of babies because that lack of medical intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that usually controls the narrative that, oh, we're saving babies, but we're also still <laughs> killing a lot of them. Yeah. We're, we're not saving enough. <laughs> no, no. My, my niece is a testimony to that. Her, yeah. her death definitely wasn't necessary, but it was because of the negligence of, this, of the medical, medical system. Yes. Let's take a, another quick break. I'll reintroduce you, uh, Brittany Fatoma, a grad student at Mizzou in the School of Education, working on uh, a leadership analysis and policy dissertation. So I just want to say hi again, folks, uh, listening today uh, to Glocal News in Social Artistry on KOPN.org, your community radio station in Columbia, Missouri. I'm the host of this show, Dick Dalton, and uh, we're just glad you're with us. Uh, We have, by the way, archives of this show available on the uh, program uh, page for Glocal News in Social Artistry. And... uh, you can go there uh, at the kopn.org and look up at least the past 25 uh, interviews and I think more if we get the right link there. So, uh, so Brittany, uh, about your dissertation, uh, it seems to, that you're, you've researched the uh, decrease in the number of black students coming up through into teacher education is that did i say that close well, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll i know what you're trying to say like the overall lack of pipeline of black students or even just students in color in general going into education mm-hmm. so i'm going to try to give you a, a nice quick negative version of it but it's a very nuanced topic mm-hmm. so because this is my my research interest so what happened is when we started to integrate schools, um, you know, our, in America, our schools were segregated, right? And so when we started to desegregate and integrate schools, what instead of it actually being a true integration where white students would go to black schools or, or all black schools and black students would go to all white schools, what really happened is all the black schools closed and all the black students were bust to these to these all white schools and thus it was the massive displacement of black educators because they had their 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 white staff and so just a select few were granted um opportunities to work in these um all white schools so that right there reduced the teaching teaching workforce by thousands i remember the number being somewhere between like sixty thousand. gone out the system so when you have a massive um, disruption in just the overall black teacher 
workforce, mm -hmm. that's going to impact the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So then what happened happened over over. So when that happened, it continued to happen um, over time, and then it wasn't even viewed as an issue mm -hmm. until um, um, back in the seventies mm -hmm. that there was going to be a a massive shortage of black educators because as a direct result of us desegregating schools. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is then everyone started to beef up like, oh, we have to recruit, we have to recruit, we have to recruit. And so now research shows that we're doing a phenomenal job recruiting educators. And when I say phenomenal, we're talking about 5% of the teacher workforce is black. Five Only five. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that that's a that's an improvement, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is, which is why my research, this is my research focus, is the on the attrition. Like, why aren't we able to retain them? We're recruiting mm -hmm. them, but we're not retaining them. Mm -hmm. um, they're leaving almost as much as they are being recruited in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that and that in and of itself is layered um, from the type of teacher training that that they're receiving we're talking about what the the state the educational state departments require for teachers to be certified mm -hmm. is biased um and creates barriers the type of support needed um as an educator being a teacher was challenging yeah. before covid it is challenging exponentially now mm -hmm. um in the midst of, of a pandemic Mm -hmm. um, and so having that that level of support um, just on the job support, mentoring, being in districts now where because with 5% of the teaching population being black, it's very likely for you to be the only black teacher right. in your building. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, the only black teacher in your district. Mm -hmm. And so what that looks like when there's no one as a professional that looks like you, yet we're in a, a, a system where majority of the students are students of color um, and are black students. Mm -hmm. Those are major dis disproportion disproportionality between the amount of students of color compared to the teachers of color and specifically mm -hmm. black students and black teachers. And do you look both, uh, at, well, not only at the color, but at the gender, are we seeing fewer men women is it uh, or both or or how does that work absolutely so that five percent majority of that is actually black women teachers even mm -hmm. though that's my my focus but the black black male educators um roughly two percent mm. are black mm -hmm. males and so um not only is there a deficit of black teachers in, in general but it's even even more so there's a there's less black male teachers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, are you, as you as you are doing, you went from being a K through nine teacher to graduate school. You're getting your EDD. Uh, are we seeing more black men and women doing that to Ooh, become a higher level professional rather than stopping at the... Uh, teacher certification that's that's fraught with more stresses than <laughs> than anybody is is deserves uh that, ideally that would be great um but i don't think that's necessarily the case mm -hmm. um actually i i think um there's still a a lack of black administrators um black faculty like mm -hmm. finding um with me doing my research on black 
female teacher K-12 attrition, it was extremely difficult to find black educators um, on the university level, on, on the college level mm-hmm. to sit on my committee. I was oh, like, yeah. I can't write about black women and not have a black woman on my committee. Um, <laughs> fortunately, I, I have one um, who and who is a phenomenal educator, uh, well within well within her right. Um, Dr. Juanita Simmons, love her in that, and honestly, was the first black woman professor I actually had at Mizzou. Oh, okay. um, so that's hope. That's totally loaded. Um, I did have um, Afro Latina. Um, Professor um, early on, who's no longer at Mizzou, uh, Dr. Dr. Dashe, also another amazing scholar. Um, but yeah, the fact that even me as a black educator getting my EDD, I only had one professor that's a that's a black woman. It, it speaks to that there there definitely is a lack, um, definitely a lack there. So ideally, it would be nice to know that we have educators getting their getting um, higher education to be able to impact change on a different level but those numbers still still are not nearly as high as they could be well I taught 30 years at Lincoln University a historically black uh, mm-hmm. university and I was in the education department and mm-hmm. uh, most of the people around the table looked like me so we had a lack of color right there at a historically black university wow in the education wow. department and wow. and we had uh you know a very few uh students of color that came up and uh, went on through so uh, you know it's uh <laughs> there's competition in colleges for black students in terms of uh, we'll, we'll give you a higher scholarship than they will. We'll, we'll give you more than that. We'll give you this and this mm-hmm. and this and to get their, I don't know, quotas or whatever up. But uh, do you have some thoughts about that in terms of? I do. I do. Um, so I actually went to an HBCU for my undergrad degree. I went to Oakwood University, right? Um, and I know I would not be the educator I am especially in the classroom if it wasn't for that experience. So where is that? Oakwood University. It's in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh-huh. Yes, 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 yes. Love my time at Oakwood. Um, and it prepared me to be the educator that I am today. However, like, I had to work to get scholarship and funding. There just wasn't a lot of funding um, mm-hmm. at HBCU. Where at, now at Mizzou, where I'm getting my doctorate, like, there is, and they always say there's there's not enough funding, but there's a lot more funding than at HB, HBCU. And, and so there is that pool to go to a PWI, um, a predominantly white institution because there's more funding. But I can definitely say that my experience at Mizzou has been traumatic mm-hmm. compared to my experience at HBCU. And so if there is that, that pressure where you want to further your education you 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 want especially on a grad grad school level like to get the funding for it to be payful but then it's like you, it's almost like you're selling yourself selling yourself short like they're paying for this education but mm-hmm. i'm gonna leave with some 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 battle wounds and some scars mm-hmm. because i'm in a system that was that was created and mm-hmm. based and perpetuated by hate um when you sit 
in the in conversations with upper administration and you're telling them do not um do not allow students in here that we know have shown that they hate people that look like me mm -hmm. yet you say it's our responsibility to teach them whose responsibility mine as a black woman or yours mm -hmm. and you're not you're and you're you're not a person of color and mm -hmm. so it's that type of of labor, um, emotional labor that is put upon you as mm -hmm. as a as a as a grad student, and then you look to your 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 black professors, and then that added pressure of them having to mentor all the black students, you know, mm -hmm. on campus, and so then mm -hmm. again, and so it's like uh, <laughs> an exchanging of trauma and pressure um, that that that's, that doesn't necessarily should be there. Um, and as having the duty of the work to teach and educate. And so um, people hear me now saying, I, I don't, I do not take it as my responsibility to teach and educate not people of color of, of A, their, their, their biases or the, the, the racism um, within, the, within the system and how they need to make themselves more aware and, and to be proactive in addressing it. I no longer take that on as my responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember we titled uh, Ruben Fologi's uh, interview as uh, Microaggressions, mm -hmm. uh, Healing from Microaggressions. And uh, he was just uh, talking about experiencing that uh, daily at Mizzou as a grad student. And uh, so I, I know that us uh, white folk don't really under re, we don't understand it we really don't uh even though we're participating in it and are producing it we don't understand it we're we're ignorant in that way and i know it's not your job to make me smart <laughs> but uh i think interviews like we're having right now is part of helping to understand one another and uh, what we uh, individually and as a collective go through. By the Absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Can I can I add to that? Oh, please. And and although um, I don't, I, there's not the expectation to understand um, in the sense of that's your experience, you embody it, but definitely that that the sense of empathy enough so that when you're in spaces, as specifically you as a white male, you can be able to speak to those things mm -hmm. and be able to hold because you're gonna get in rooms, even with all my education, you said with my CV is phenomenal, is there's still gonna be rooms you're gonna have access to just by the way that you look, correct? And so there are gonna be people that you're going to be able to encounter that you can change the conversation, that you can press them to like, hey, that's problematic. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be saying this. Mm -hmm. And so that when I do some way, some way, somehow find myself into this space, they've some of those things have already been addressed. And that's the thing that I really try to push non-people of color. Like it is important for you to interrogate these systems in everyday encounters. Mm -hmm. When you see something, when you hear something mm -hmm. that's problematic, mm -hmm. speak on that. Yes, it takes a level of courage, absolutely. But if you truly want this to be a place where we can all truly sit at the table mm -hmm. in brotherhood, mm -hmm. you're gonna have to take that step and, and to interrogate those things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it cannot be 
on us. Mm -hmm. Then there's the flip side. We don't need that that white savior syndrome too. So it's like, you you don't want (laughs) your pendulum to swing to the other side. Like, oh, now I need you to come in and save the day. No, thanks. I can handle my own. But when you're in the space, especially in my absence, go ahead and and, and take that, take that upon yourself to address it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Silence is violence. I I like that bumper sticker. It definitely can be. It definitely can be. Hey, uh, Brittany, where did you first grow up? Oh, thank you. That's a great question. I am originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Oh, Born and raised in the South. Uh Yes. And then um, we relocated to San Antonio, Texas when I turned 15. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like my life has, I've been immersed in, in, in diversity, but also I know what real racism looks like mm-hmm. growing up in North Carolina going to the school that was historically white mm-hmm. um being able to go to the school because I tested high so I was a smart one oh, um and mm-hmm. feeling feeling like I knew that I didn't belong when they looked at me like why are you here mm-hmm. um and and those things so I when I say my life has has been the and the experience um the American experience of what of what racism and and um, microaggressions look like, even though that wasn't the term back then. Right. I, I was like, oh, that was a, man, that was microaggressions. Like, <laughs> like, oh, you're articulate. Thank you. That's a microaggression. Um, oh, wow, you, you you're you're pretty you're pretty smart. You're pretty pretty sharp. Really, another for black microaggression. Girl? <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's another microaggression. So 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 even even that, or even just the the depth of, of colorism too, like mm-hmm. being a dark skinned black black woman um, and being articulate, being being educated um the way i speak where i carry myself mm-hmm. what was definitely i was definitely disrupting systems before that i was <laughs> now that i was disrupting systems but i realized that my whole story has come um full circle um in, in the work that i'm do, doing not only um as as an edd doctoral candidate but also my work as a doula and seeing it all connect together and why I know I'm doing this work to empower and to advocate for women, especially women that look like me. Mm -hmm. Well, there's one other little facet, and it's not little at all, of your life that we don't have much time to talk about, but what is SALT? Oh, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. So SALT is so amazing life today. It's actually how I came to Columbia. I'll make it really short um, because I wouldn't have done any of this (laughs) if I had not encountered Dr. Ty Douglas. Um, Him and his wife was doing this amazing um, seminar about what it means to have an amazing marriage and just what's that look and it was just such such a positive um example of black love especially within the christian denomination because uh, that's I'm a, I'm a woman of faith and so i was like okay he's a person in academia and doing ministry and and black he's wearing a black woman and they're sold out for christ like this is awesome and so um my husband and i we weren't married at the time so we were dating so we were talking and he's like you got to come to columbia Mm. um and i was and we were like okay but we weren't you weren't married yet so i was like i'm not going anywhere (laughs) so first we we got married and um they came up to visit and he was like man it would be great if you guys can come to columbia see what we're doing here and so we did and we saw like it was something i had never seen in a church setting Mm. the entire church was like 40 and under um 
the mm. entire praise team from the band to the singers were like under 20. I was wow. like, what? This is not something <laughs> I've ever seen before. Um, we were always used to be to being the minority, the only young people in the church. And we know that's a whole nother conversation about why um, millennials are leaving the church. But anyways, so we were just like blown away. Um, but what really got us was that they were actually in Columbia and people knew them and they were actually taking, you know, people's children and was coming to our children program. People were coming um, literally off the street into church. That was not anything that I was seeing in Kansas City, which is where I was living and teaching at the time. Even though that's what I wanted, they just weren't really about doing that. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, this is awesome. My husband's like, this is awesome. So we prayed, we applied for positions, which is how I ended up teaching at Columbia Public Schools. My husband, um, the ISS teacher at Lang, and we got the jobs. We felt God was calling us here. We came, and so we were we officially became SALT Fellows, which is a program, young professionals like ourselves at the time, to come and to do actual ministry in a college town working with you, working within the community. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's, that's my SALT experience. So I'm very very proud um, to be a part of SALT to this day. Um, shameless plug, we are looking for a new set of SALT City Fellows. Check us out. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're looking for young professionals that are on fire for Christ, but also have a passion for serving um, the community, specifically the Black community. So you see how it's full circle. Dr. Ty recruited me as a Black teacher here to Columbia to, and then now I'm in grad school looking at retaining Black teachers and then now i'm working as a doula um advocating and, and empowering black women and women in general so full circle full circle i love it i can't say uh, uh thanks enough for your time today and and uh just bringing your spirit my goodness <laughs> I, I love to get those goosebumps in a conversation <laughs> with somebody so bless yeah. your heart uh Brittany fatoma a doula in columbia yeah, mid-missouri um black doula collective <laughs> okay so people look these things up uh mm -hmm. get Please to know do. who's in your community and uh what good work is going on yes so. especially if you're looking for a doula specifically a black a black woman doula yeah. we are accepting clients in a few weeks we're excited to be launching um and being here to support and advocate all women, but specifically our black women um, and their black, beautiful black babies. Awesome. Well, much love and uh, Godspeed. And friends, uh, remember wherever you are, uh, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.